Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. This week's Parsha. Um, if you listened to most rabbis this outside of the realm of Temple Beth Am, talk about this week's Parsha, they start off by saying, so this week's Parsha is a little bit boring, <laughs> um, which, which I guess maybe it is. Uh, it's definitely less relatable to our lives on face value. So you have to dig a little bit to figure out how can you make it relatable? If you want to make it relatable, there are also things in our Torah that we just read to read them and know them. Not everything has to be relatable. Uh, so there are, there were three things from this week's Parsha that I thought about. Number one was actually what I mentioned before the second Aliyah, which was the, the little bells. Why did Aaron need to kind of announce himself before he was in someone's presence? What, what is the use of like a theme song or a, a chime around an animal's neck? What, what does that do for us in terms of our leader? That was one. That's not what we're talking about today. The second one was the Ner Tamid. Why we first hear about the Ner Tamid in this week's Parsha. There are beautiful Midrashim around the Ner Tamid. Uh, but again, I didn't go with that this week. <clears throat> what I did go with was one aspect of the high priest's garments and clothing. So many people read the list of garments and think, wow, it's really, it's very intricate. There's a lot there and kind of gloss over it. There's many colors that we don't necessarily even recognize in today's world, or at least we don't call them that. So there, we don't know what colors they're referring to and just different things that people are not wearing as much anymore. And so it's harder to kind of picture what's going on here. But what struck me this particular year in reading this Parsha were was the breastplate, which actually of all the different aspects of royal or priestly, in this case, garb, that actually might be the one that you're most familiar with because you've probably seen artistic uh, depictions of it or, you know, in museums, artistic renderings of what they thought it might have looked like. But the reason that it caught me this year is because there's something that's not just about the garment itself, but also about what it carries. So I've never been a big jewelry wearer. I'm just not. Some women love to accessorize. Some men love to accessorize. I am not a woman who particularly thinks about it. But I do have specific jewelry that I wear all the time. <clears throat> and that specific jewelry that I always wear is either heirloom jewelry that's been given to me from my mom or from my grandmothers or things that were given to me specifically by those people with meaning, even if they're not heirloom. So even if it didn't come from like my grandmother's grandmother, there w which this ring actually was from my grandmother's grandmother, I think, or grandmother's mother, she'll tell me later. Um, but it, it is an heirloom, but it was given to me with significance uh, for that, as opposed to the other ring that's on my finger, which I actually had made based on uh, the memory of a person, <clears throat> of my uncle, and is not an heirloom, but it's something that I will pass on. So when I choose to wear something specifically in the realm of accessory, 
To me, it is important that it came from somewhere or has meaning behind it. That's not to belittle anybody who just loves to accessorize. That's just who I am. That's how I wear things. And so that's why this particular piece of Torah stuck out to me. So we're going to read through a pretty dense piece of Torah. But what I want you to think about is why is this something that is necessary for Aaron to have as the high priest, for him to wear, for him to recognize, for him to be able to feel connected to. And I promise the little anecdote that I just shared is a hint to a reason. So we're in Exodus chapter 28. We're looking at verses 9 through 20. I'm sorry that I numbered them 1 through 9. That's confusing. But we're starting Exodus 28 verse 9, which is also number 1 on your sheet. I'm just going to read in English for time's sake. Then take two lazuli stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. On the two stones, you shall make seal engravings, the work of a lapidary of the names of the sons of Israel, having bordered them with frames of gold. You shall make a breast piece of decision worked into a design. Make it in the style of the ephod. Make it of gold, of blue, purple, and crimson yarns. By the way, blue, tchelet, is, is not like, I can't show you blue right now, but it's, it's a specific blue that you find in your tzitzit, so it's a different kind of blue. And a fine twisted linen. It shall be square and doubled, a span in length and a span in width. Set in it mounted stones and four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of carnelian, chrysolite and emerald probably butchering some of these names the second row a turquoise a sapphire and an amethyst those i know the third row a jacinth yes is that right okay no one knows an agate and a crystal and the fourth row a barrel a lapis lazuli and a jasper they shall be framed with gold in their mountings okay because i have a commentary on this verse that we just read. Uh, I want to just pause this here for a second. Anybody have any thoughts? What, why? Like, that's the basic reason. Like, I mean, basic question. What's the reason for this? Why this intricacy? Why done this way? Why is this what the breast piece could be? Couldn't it have just been some beautiful gold thing with a shield on it? Like what, why, why this particular artistry? Any thoughts? Just raise your hand and I will call on you. You're right behind my camera. Sorry. Svi, go ahead. I don't know if this really has particular relevance, but the thought that occurs to me reading this listing of stones, which, by the way, in different translations are identified differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does suggest that this collection of stones is could only be accumulated in an active trading area. Mm that there would have been some dispersion geographically where you would acquire these particular stones and then the people to actually cut and polish and do the like or it indicates a level of organization that may not be consistent with wandering in the desert. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's a 
that's a beautiful point. I hadn't thought about that. It's similar to like the dolphin skins that we get at the beginning of the building of the Mikdash, right? Like, yeah. how, where, did you, where did you get those? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That, so this means that either they were carrying stones with them from another time, yeah. or that they did exactly what you just shared, which is trade with other tribes or peoples around them to, to acquire the stones that they either needed or wanted to create this breast piece. Great. Yeah. Jennifer, I saw you unmute. Uh, yeah, I. in terms of the why, um, it seems to me that um, it, it could, it, it serves as a, uh, a visual reminder that there's, in a sense, more than one tribe, uh, m- meaning that there's more than one peoples who are, uh, peoples is not the word I meant, but, but tribes. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, but in all in one place, it shows them that they are all connected. Beautiful. Great. So Alan, I see you. Hold on one second. Um, the, the, the idea of a visual showing distinction and, and in a moment we're going to see how distinct, right? It's not just that the colors were distinct. There was also engravings that were distinct. Everything about, the stone, everything about every individual 12 stones was extremely distinct from the next. But as Jennifer's pointing out, all together, it makes something communal, something as one unit. So there can be these distinct pieces, but together they're all, they're all one, uh, I won't use the word tribe, but they're one community. <laughs> Alan and then Joanna. Yeah. Um- just to expand on that point, and it's something that, that I think is that even though that is 12, they're all united. It's, one, it's kind of like the stones in Yaakov's uh, dream when he's oh, in hell, with, with the 12 stones becomes one when he wakes up. Mm. Um, but what I find interesting is that we talk about two different vestments where we're dealing with these stones. Yeah. First, we have the, the aphod, the, the, the uh, excuse me, first we have the, the Hoshen Hamishpat, and then the aphode, they seem to be two different items, both of which are filled with all, with 12 stones apiece. I mean, if I'm Aaron, I'm feeling bad. I'm looking around all these stones everywhere I go in terms of what's going on. But it also ties in, maybe this ties in with the, uh, with when he's wearing these stones, it's part of the uim and tumim, which help him connect with God. And it may connect with the, for the, with the B'nai Israel, the 12 uh, representative of the 12 tribes that are connecting with, with God as well. Great. That's going to come up in just a few verses. So just hold that thought. That's a great, a great foreshadow. Joanna and then Hermans. <clears throat> I was very struck um, by Jennifer's comment, and it reminded me right away of um, the experience I had um, as an American who moved 20 years ago to Toronto, where in the U.S., we talk about all the different peoples as a melting pot. And the word that's used in Canada is not melting pot, but mosaic. And I think it's a much richer way to think of it, because as a mosaic, you don't lose your individual identity, but yet you somehow come together to make a whole. Um and I think there's, you know, perhaps something to that, that like, yes, everyone should maintain their own unique identity and their own unique, you know, culture and practices. You know, we know by the time of um, 
um, that they settle in the land, you know, like language had become differentiated. You know, some people couldn't say the S or the the SH the same way. So there's a sense of developing identity, but yet being a whole collective in the fashion of a mosaic and not a melting pot. I love that distinction because when you think of a melting pot, you do lose elements of like when you think of anything coming together, it might have been one color, but the dominant color then takes over. Right. Whereas in a mosaic, you get different shapes, different colors, different uh, even uh, material, maybe. Right. And, And then it all comes together with beautiful art, Larry or Diane or both. Maybe I'm influenced by uh, the presentation on um, Purim, especially Hege. But yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, RuPaul. Man, this is really a fantastic war- outfit being worn by the Cornega dog. Absolutely fantastic. And and just to note, there are five pazers in the in the in the Haftorah, but it's the, according to Rick told me it's the only verse, verse eleven, with four pazers. And that verse oh. itself is a really weird verse, but that's besides the point. Wow. Well, whoever wrote Hege's um, piece was very talented and very funny. So uh, he should get a major Yasher Koach for that. Um, yes, Brandt and then Annette. <clears throat> I'm drawn to the specialty and the specificity. Yeah. So when you put on a special garment, you realize you're special mm. and that you act in a particular way because you're wearing a garment. It's like, you know, I can only say it in terms of a lawyer, but you, you put on a suit even though you're on Zoom and I do wear pants, not shorts with my, with my suit because when I feel my job, I do a better job. And I think also the specificity with which you do this, you put this outfit together is an example of the specificity that the people need to follow in order to comply with God's laws. Mm-hmm. And then also it sets the Kohen Gadol apart mm. so that they understand that, that he is in a special role. So I look at this as a, of a, of, of a specialty and a specificity. I, that is such a beautiful point. I, um, my roommate at the beginning of rabbinical school, who's now, excuse me, a rabbi in Pittsburgh, used to always talk about how his parents have always worked from home. They had their, uh, their, I want to say they're CPAs, but that could be wrong. Um, that they always worked from home and because their basement had been turned into their office. And so uh, his dad specifically would wake up in the morning and put on a full suit to go downstairs because he wanted to feel like he was ready for the job. Rabbi Matt Shapiro does the same thing, not a full suit, but he puts on work clothes even though he's working from home. So you're right. I think there is something that that you need to make Aaron feel as though he's about to do something very important by giving him very important clothing. Uh, another rabbi friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Oliver Joseph, who went to school here in L.A., but went back home to be a rabbi in the U.K., spoke about this same piece of Torah when he was giving a little drosh for his community. And one of the pieces that he talked about was how in the U.K. things have become the dress code has become a little bit more lax than when he was growing up. It's become a little bit less formal um, or informal, some might even say. And the way in which he 
he reads this is maybe we should put a little bit of formality back into the way that we dress. Maybe we shouldn't be making sweatpants into the thing to continue um, um, manufacturing so that people want to buy tons of pairs of them, though I, I am not opposed to that. But the idea that people need to have a little bit of what you're saying, that feeling of putting something on that also makes you feel good because you'll do, you'll have a better product. Uh, Annette, and then we'll go on to the commentary. I, I don't know if you can see this, but I have this book, The Tabernacle. Oh, yeah. And that, that is, uh, the, can you see that? It's yes. The breastplate. Yeah, very and, well. And uh, this book is out of print now. And then this, was the priestly garment? Can one see? Wow! Them? Thank you for bringing the visual. That's beautiful. So, he doesn't have a face, though, Annette. We need to work on that. Oh, uh, well, uh, they don't know. He was. A I, no, I don't. Case, I'm. I know. It's a I have to tell you something. I'm a jewelry wearer, and I I love getting dressed up for special occasions. All of my jewelry came from my husband, Abe. And when I'm celebrating, and next week, I will put on some nice pieces of jewelry, even though I'm here at home and I'm going to be doing uh, the Mafia uh-huh. portion because yeah. I'm yeah. celebrating my 87th birthday. And you darn well are going to know that I'm going to have some nice pieces of jewelry on me. Good. Great. We can't wait. And that's exactly what Brand's speaking to is that you, by wearing something that makes you feel special, you also create special product. And that's, that's really wonderful. Okay. We're going to continue with the Rabbeinu Bachia piece at the bottom. Again, I'll read it if you don't have the source sheet, but it says that, that, um, it's, so Rabbeinu Bachia is commenting on the line set in gold that they shall be their mountains. Okay. The meaning of the words is that the stones should remain whole in their golden setting. So this is going back to the, uh, the mosaic idea, right? That everything would remain exactly the way it is, as opposed to cutting it down so that everything is a square or a triangle or whatever. Everything would remain whole. The principal instruction of this verse is that the stones should be on top of the gold and the inscriptions on top of the stones. There were a total of 72 letters corresponding to the 72 lettered name of God, as pointed out at the beginning of verse 15. So as we all know, there are many names for God. Uh, and this, these 72 letters, Rabbi Nubachia is saying, correspond to one of the names of God that would be, uh, that, that together would create a name for God. <clears throat> Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar continues by saying, on, uh, not, not exactly on the same verse, but on the, sorry, not exactly on the same words, but on the same verse, this reflects a great spiritual awakening, reminding people of the great value of Torah, which supersedes even all the accumulated gemstones found on the breastplate of the high priest. By placing the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, i.e. the letters of the Torah above the gemstones and the gemstones above the golden mountains, the point that Torah value is the point that Torah values are supreme was made for all to see. The gold was the basis of the gemstones, and the gemstones in turn were the basis of the letters of the Torah. 
Without the letters inscribed on top of the gemstones, the gemstones and the gold would not have been of much significance. The significance of the letters lay in the fact that it was these which God employed in order to create this universe. So there's, there's a lot of language in that commentary, but basically what's being said is that there was a reason for each letter for each inscription. There was a reason for each stone. And one would not have been as important without the other. So every element of this breastplate needed to come together to be important, to be somehow connected to the way in which Aaron was going to not only wear the garment, but one thing that no one brought up that that I find really interesting is that it faces outward, right? This isn't something that Aaron is looking at. It's not a book. It's not everything that we wear faces outward. And you could you could argue that rings are different or like watches are different because we see our hands, especially someone like me who talks with my hands. But the garments that we're wearing, right? Have you ever been in a situation where someone says, what's your shirt from? And you have to look down. Like you got yourself dressed in the morning, obviously, but you don't remember what your shirt says because you're not constantly looking at it. And so this Rabbeinu Bachia piece, to me, seems to be saying not only was it important how it was put together, but it was important to the people who saw it. It was important to those who looked at Aaron to know this is important. This is something to pay notice to, to, take, to pay attention to, that the letters of the Torah and these particular gemstones were all uniquely chosen to be part of this breastplate. It wasn't like a little kid who goes into the garden and chooses every rock that he or she sees and says, this is, this is the most exciting treasure. It wasn't like that. It was very specific to what was, what was needed to be on this breastplate. Okay, so we're going continue, we're gonna continue here, um, and you'll see how this all comes together. So those were just the first, um, you know, 10-ish verses, 11 verses. The stones shall correspond in number. Now we're back, sorry. We're back in Exodus now, chapter 28, verse 21. The stones shall correspond in number to the names of the sons of Israel. 12, corresponding to their names. Let me say that one more time. The stones shall correspond in number to the names of the sons of Israel. If you just stopped here, you would think, okay, so we put a Reuben stone and an Issachar stone and a Don stone, but we just know that it's 12 because of them. We don't know if it actually says anything about them. They shall be engraved like seals, each, each with its name for the 12 tribes. So now what is it adding? What we're adding here is that not only were they for the 12 tribes, but the names of the 12 tribes were on the stones. So, and maybe Annette can actually see that well in her, in her book, that the breastplate had these distinct, it's almost like birthstones, Right, that if every child of uh, of Jacob's was born in a different month, they would have a different stone. That's not what this is, but I'm just trying to give you a visual. That every distinct tribe would have its own stone, 
and their name would be on that stone. And together that made the breastplate. Sforno says, as soon as the Israelites, when donating these various materials, had dedicated them to their sacred purpose, right? We saw that last week. Last week? Yeah, last week. That their names be inscribed on these gemstones. They became sacred. So that the word tihiena, meaning they will remain, is fully justified. The names of B'nai Israel will remain forever. Right? This was before they had the scroll of the Torah to know, oh, these names are going to be written down a whole lot. This is where their names lived. This is where they remained on this breastplate that Aaron showed out uh, in his priestly garment. We go back into the Torah, chapter 28, verse 26. Hello, Rabbi Klugfeld and Cantor Chorney. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. Good to see you. <laughs> you can't see them, but they're having a good time being in the sanctuary. Okay, so chapter 28, verse 26. Make two rings of gold. So now this is talking about not the breast piece that we were just referring to with the 12 different tribes. Now it's talking about how it's going to be attached. Make two rings of gold and attach them to the two ends of the breast piece at its inner edge, which faces the ephod. Okay. Again, so I am reading this all in the English, but just for time's sake, I want to make sure we get through the material. If you're interested, some of the Hebrew, as I think it was Svi who mentioned, some of the Hebrew will be defined differently uh, in different translations. Next verse. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel on the breastpiece of decision over his heart when he enters the sanctuary for remembrance before the Lord at all times. Okay. I'm just going to read this, like, seven words in Hebrew. For those of you who um, are connected to the world of Jewish law, of Jewish halacha, Choshen Mishpat is one of the four parts, volumes of the Shulchan Aruch. And what it's basically saying here is that this breast piece not <clears throat> not only is worn, but is carried. Venaso, it doesn't say Vatilbash. Doesn't say you know, he's gonna wear it. He's gonna carry it. It's gonna go with him wherever he goes. So that anybody who sees him also sees this. And it's over his heart. Which I think is such a beautiful way of us knowing how important this was. It wasn't on his back. It didn't hang down so low that it was on his belly. It was on his heart. He had the names of those 12 tribes on his heart at all times. And then it, it end, this line, this verse ends by saying for remembrance before God at all times. Now, what does that mean? Right? The idea that in remembering your history and remembering where you came from and remembering that which these 12 tribes set up for you. That's how you'll remember God. But you have to remember all 12. You can't just remember Joseph because he had the best story and had the best musical created because of him. Right? It's not, that's not what we're saying here. You need all 12. You need the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, Henry. You just have to unmute, Henry. So I think that um, it's not just remembering where you came from. I think it's real time remembering who you're serving. Yeah. You're representing the whole people to Beautiful. 
right? So that's so that's I think even more important for the high priest to have constantly on his mind is that he's carrying around essentially the weight of the entire people with him at all times. Beautiful. Beautiful. And the Torah agrees with you because the last line that I added to this source sheet says exactly that. Inside the breast piece of decision, you shall place the Urim and Tumim so that they are over Aaron's heart when he comes before the Lord. Thus, Aaron shall carry the instrument of decision for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord at all times. That this is something that that was not just about memory of what was before, as Henry just said, but in the moment that you have to take into consideration what these people, what these, what their values, what the, um, the things that they did are going to influence you in making decisions as the high priest. That's extremely important. And it happened every time that he went into the Kodesh HaKodashim, to make those decisions, to be in the presence of God, that past, that present was on him, was literally with him. And as you said, the weight, I'm sure this was an extremely heavy item, right? He was carrying it, literally carrying it with him. So I want to read you this last Forno piece, and then I'll, and then I'll close, and we'll ankle uh, our, our way out of here. So Sforno says, in order for God to always remember the merits of the founding tribal fathers of the Jewish people and to treat their offspring favorably when remembering their founders, it, it's, a, it's an incomplete sentence, but basically is the reason why this, this breast piece was created. Why I shared the story before I started about the jewelry that I wear is because I think that each of us, whether it's jewelry or it's memory or it's literally a garment or it's a kippah that you wear on Shabbat or it's a book that you have on your bookshelf or a picture that you have in the place where you do work every day, whatever it is, there is something that each of us have, even if we haven't taken the time to put it in front of us, there is something that we each have in our lives that can make us remember and make us carry with us that which comes before us. Both for what, as Henry said, both for recalling the past, but also for living in the present in a way that would make the past proud, <laughs> right? That in carrying with us, that which comes before us, we're able to learn from it and from them. And we're also able to move forward knowing that we're taking pieces of people that maybe we didn't even know or memories that we've just heard as stories and put them into our lives today. And one of the biggest ones for all of us is the Torah, right? The Torah acts as a mirror for us in many ways. Because we can look into the Torah and we can see aspects of our own lives or the lives that we wish to lead. But ultimately, none of these stories are happening today. They all happened many, 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 many years ago. And yet we carry it with us everywhere. Because like this breast piece, we need to be able to say, walking into current situations, we need to be able to take some of that with us. We need to be able to learn from that which came before us, to feel from that which came before us, and to be able to know that it's also with us as a support and as guidance. So 
I hope that everyone is able to think about what those things are in your life. And again, if you haven't yet put those things literally in front of you at your desk or in your bedroom or uh, at your work office or whatever it is to find what that is for you, what that physical object is for you to keep the past, to keep your history, to keep your ancestors in your mind's eye, to be able to help you and to be able to guide you in your future. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.